1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
0: 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Microbiz Game. Currently fundraising on a Kickstarter platform and it needs all the help it can get. It pledges as low as a dollar and they are trying to help you bring back family game balance. So check out Microbiz
1: Game on Twitter. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted Hi, I'm J.K. Amelow, the writer, director of The Asian. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer, director of the film Harbour Suites This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast Hello Stuart, just a quick hello
0: from Sarah Douglas Hi everybody, this is Mo Ali, the director of Montana Hey
2: guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County from, from page page to screen, page
0: to screen screen. Right, well, we're going to spend the next 40 minutes getting to know you a little bit better, Mr. John Fouts. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a podcast with my friend Bob, where we chatted about our early days, loving movies, mm-hmm. how we got into films, and how we used to watch them at the cinema, and so on. Uh, so I've done most of my bit, although feel free to fire questions or whatever, okay. but I mean, what year were you born? First of all, I was sixty-seven. So I, I'm a little older than you, so but not I by much. In, no, I was born in seventy-one. There's yeah. so not much difference there. Yeah. So, what what are your really early memories of movies?
1: You know, um, I was thinking about that this morning. As soon as I woke up, I was like, just kind of reminiscing. And it's um, the first cinematic experience that I remember was. Alice in Wonderland, which that was back in the day where, you know, Disney still had a vault, but it was re-released to the movies, like the uh, movie theaters. And so I remember watching the animated version, and then you guys did a version in the UK uh, that was live action. And I think it was for TV, but somehow that played at the movie theater, and that was in the 70s. Um, over here, and but I remember my great grandmother, um, who lived to be 106, by the way, um, and read books without glasses up until she was 105, but I digress. The wow. um, but I remember her wanting to, um, you know, like take me out to the movies. So I remember going, and there was a little movie theater, very simple in a little town, uh, where she lived. And so, but I remember watching the live action version of it and thinking, wow. This is not exactly like the Disney version, but I still enjoyed it, you know, and I remember uh, thinking how beautiful Alice was. So I can't remember the actress's name, but um, anyway, but uh, very pretty. And then I remember uh, her taking me to the dollar store and me getting some sort of like rubber monkey or whatever. Anyway, so those are my memories. It's always connected with something uh, like that. But the uh, the first TV movie I remember watching was Dr. Doolittle. You remember that musical?
0: Oh, I do. Yep. Not the Eddie Murphy one for it. He's no. like, what?
1: But there was, in fact, a previous one. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, but in order to watch it, I would have to take a nap in the afternoon. And I was a little bitty because I remember going somewhere. This is again, um, I guess I must have, when I was, I, I guess this was before we moved to where we are now, The the city that I grew up in. But um, once again, it was like my mom was out with her mom and her grandmother going somewhere. And this was back when, you know, like cars were huge, like they have on Supernatural, you know what I mean? Huge gas guzzling tanks, right? And I remember being, you know, like mom was uh, saying that, you know, I, I would have to take a nap. And so I remember curling up in the floorboard and taking a nap, and uh, I remember going to sleep watching my great grandmother work the pedals as she was changing gears. Man, kind of kind of an odd memory, but yet that nap entitled me to watching Doctor Doolittle, which was like a three hour movie, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, it was really I, I remember. I
0: remember it not being a short movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was quite up to Dancer with Wolves, Lynch, but <laughs> it was definitely over the two-hour mark. Yeah. I suppose it would have probably had commercials
1: in it as well, which would make it even longer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And probably uh, infomercials about smoking, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Enjoy unfiltered camels. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it helps you work better or something. I remember uh, Ian showed me a, a spot from YouTube the other day where um, it was this guy talking about how sometimes he forgets to eat because he enjoys smoking so much while he's working on his car. And I'm like, so what, your wife work? What? Wait a minute. How, do you, how are you staying afloat there, dude? Because it sounds like all you're doing is smoking uh, some sort of whatever cigarettes and working on your car, man. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well. Don't see adverts like that anymore on No. TV. But you know the the thing that I missed on TV um, that I I guess would have been a generation before me were all the commercials where Mickey Mouse and Donald and uh, cartoon characters were actually smoking. Now I realize Popeye smoked, but. That was just a part of his character. But it was kind of like behind the scenes and Donald's like smoking, you know, like camels, unfiltered, whatever. And that was what my granddad smoked. So that's why I gravitate towards that. This is not an endorsement of camel cigarettes (laughs) or an encouragement to smoke Or or my smoking. Right, right, right. But, you know, it was just – but it's funny that they actually did uh, commercials because everybody smoked back in the day. I remember my first trip out to California, I was in – I think it was 10 – and, um, you know, and people were still smoking on the plane, you know? Yeah. so People were still smoking in cinemas, you know, weren't Oh, they? you're right. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, people were more chilled out, I think, back then. Not necessarily because they were smoking tobacco, <laughs> but right. you, look, you look at the rage people have now when someone speaks or rustles popcorn or takes a phone out, you're ready for killing them. Yeah, yeah. And yet, when we were kids, people would throw sweets at the screen and they would <laughs> muck around and there would be clouds of smoke. It would be like watching a film on Dagobah. Right. Yeah, I don't remember as a kid going, I've got to kill that person because you just, right. it's what it was, so therefore you put up with it. It so.
1: was. And I wonder how much of our intolerance comes from being able to watch movies at home where we can control everything. Yeah.
0: People are too angry nowadays. Yeah,
1: I agree. Everybody's right there on the cusp. It's you know, it's kind of like uh, Bruce Banner said in the Avengers. You know, I'm always angry. <laughs> That's how I control it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm always on the verge. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm never. I'm never calm. That's right. <laughs> so,
0: were you and your parents, I mean, big cinema goers? Did you get t- get taken to cinema a lot, or
1: you know, so- I remember, I remember going to see some movies with my parents. But there were a lot of movies like The Apple Dumpling Gang and uh, Francis the Talking Mule. Like, and I don't think Francis was a Disney movie, but it was in that same kind of genre, you know, kind of lighthearted, G-rated fare. And I remember my mom would drop me and a friend off at the movies. And, you know, we would have money in hand. We'd go up to the ticket booth, get our tickets, walk down the uh, hallway, pat, and then, you know, there was the concession stand, which – Always just, you know, was so tantalizing. And and they would have these candies that were branded for whatever movies. Like, I remember getting some Planet of the Apes candies, and they had a cool prize. I can't remember exactly what it was, but that was back when even Cracker Jacks would have an honest prize, right? And uh, versus (laughs) like, hey, here's a tattoo. Woo, all right. It's like, you know, half an inch by half an inch. I can't wait to apply it. And so, but then, you know, then you go on into the theater and there was, or you could go to the right and up the steps and sit in the balcony. And that's where all the girlfriend and boyfriends sat. So as a kid, I was like, hell, I want to watch a movie. I don't want to be around a bunch of weirdos making out. Come on. It's like girls. (laughs) This is the cinema. Come on, people, you know. And um but anyway, but yeah, I remember some movies with my parents, um, especially the monumental ones like Star Wars, because I can still remember the excitement just absolutely on a cellular level that I was going to go see a PG rated movie. And I just felt like I'm my life will be changed because I'm going to see something that's not G rated. I was still a little kid. Right.
0: Because you were 10 years old, so you were like yeah. the, the perfect age
1: for Star Oh, yeah. And so I remember my dad parking. We walk across the street. This was downtown Albemarle. And we went in, and you know, we got our tickets. We got our – I don't even remember getting candy, which is kind of odd because I always remember getting – I mean, like – anyway, that's a different story. But anyway, but as far as, like, candy and, and popcorn and stuff. But I remember where we sat in the, sat in the theater – and I remember from the opening, uh, you know, the, from the 20th Century Fox on, it's just imprinted in my mind. So if I hear any part of, um, you know, the fanfare or anything, it immediately goes to Star Wars. It doesn't go to anything else. It's kind of crazy. But like, like on your uh, theme song for Waxy Cinematic <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Fox fans, right? Yep. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. So but yeah, it's so I remember that. I remember going to see Superman in the movie theater. Um, yep. and a friend and I were sitting probably five rows in front of my dad and my sister. My sister's, um, a little bit younger than me. I won't say how much younger since we've already declared my age. Um, but anyway, so, but she was sitting there with dad and then, you know, Lex Luthor's buxom girlfriend. Right. And I remember it was just a quiet part in this, in the, in the film. And my sister goes, daddy, she's got big boobies. <laughs> and everybody laughed. It was it was an awesome moment for me and my sister. And I try to remind her of that periodically. So, I as well spoil you, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, a lot of my movie going experience um, at that point was in the summer. Um, every day at like four o'clock, there was the afternoon movie. I don't know if you guys had that in the UK, but um, and so that was where I saw King Kong, Mighty Joe Young, Godzilla, um, the whole, and a lot of the old monster movies. Uh, the, uh, what was it? The Wolfman, uh, Dracula, um, creature from the black lagoon. And so, and, and plenty of lower rated movies, you know, that I've never seen again, but that was, that was a big part of my childhood was just, you know, in the summer, I would be watching these movies. I'd go outside and play in the morning or whatever, and then it would be hot. And then I'd be watching movies in the afternoon. So, how
0: many screens did your cinema have? Was it one or was it <laughs> it was, several? Or? It
1: was one, and this was, you know, I think we've discussed this before. But back in the day, it was it was an experience. It was it was like um, an honor to go to the movies, you know. And to honor those movies, you the red curtains would be closed, and then they would open up, and you're like, ah, yes, and you'd watch the trailers. And then once the trailers were done, the <laughs> curtains would close again. And then the curtains would open and your movie would start. And they don't do yeah. that anymore. And with the way some of these movies are shot, there was one uh, movie years ago, and I can't remember. It was um, – oh, gosh. I think it had uh, Idris Alba in it and Chris Evans, and it was kind of a military – it was almost like um, the A-team, except it was like maybe the B-team. But – Anyway, I can't remember. And it had, um oh, what's the girl's name who plays a her on the latest Star Trek? um But anyway. Uh, yeah, coming. Yeah. So, Zoe, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, yeah. So it had her in there as well. and But anyway, the movie starts off in such a non-flamboyant way. I thought, oh, this is another trailer. This is a trailer for joining the U.S. Army or something, right? And then I was like, wait a minute. That's Chris. Wait. Oh, this is the movie. But yeah, I didn't. Because they stopped closing and opening the curtains at all, then it's, it's hard to know when things start.
0: Yeah, I mean, Annette and I watched High Society last night. Yeah? We've got this 1001. This was the last night was the movie to watch from the 1001 movies to before right. you die book. And it was a ran, <laughs> right. random number that Annette had generated, and it was High Society. Nice. And at the beginning of that, there was an overture. Which a lot of the older films had, yeah. like Lords of Arabia, had Spartacus. So you think well, that's even more special because you had music from the film playing before the curtains right. opened, and then it, now it's just like, yeah, huge your film? Right. Well, I,
1: what, very, so. very, just kind of like okay. And so I mean, sometimes I don't think people know when to put their phones up because oh, wait a minute, this is the movie, you know. <clears throat> so, but there was um. Another thing that my cousin, which I guess we'll get into that in a little bit as we you know, go down the journey. Um, my cousin used to write for television, and he is a strong believer that all credits in movies should be at the beginning of the movie so that when the movie finishes, it is like the end, copyright, you're done. Um, you know, Because he just thinks that too many people are being left out of the spotlight, the people who have helped make this movie are not getting proper credit because hey, here's some actors and the director and the producer, and then everybody else is, is you know, at the very end. And unless it's a Marvel movie or a comic book movie, there's no reason to stay or or a Pixar movie. So yeah, yeah.
0: What's your take on that? I mean, uh, on one hand, people generally people would not watch. Twenty minutes worth of credits right. before the film comes on, they would get annoyed. <laughs> oh, right! They would take to social media and we're going to whinge and complain about it. Yeah, I, I do agree that every single person who helps make a film is as important. Right, you know, you know, caterers and all that sort of stuff. But does a caterer need a credit at the beginning of a you know the newborn movie?
1: Right. <laughs> well, and you look maybe at, not. So much. I mean, you look at the credit sequence for um, Civil War, for example, and. It's in, I think it was like, I don't know, 12 minutes worth. And that's only because it is probably five to six names wide. These huge blocks of uh, CG whatevers. And then bam, it's just, I mean, a mega box, you know? And so if it were, if, if they were all stacked in, you know, the way they used to be, it would take forever. And I agree. I mean, like back in the day when they used to have all the credits up front. I don't think they would give credit for, um, you know, like key makeup, um, you know, whatever. I mean, like it was it was a much shorter list because below the line, people were important. But on the other hand, we didn't need to know that, uh, you know, Joe Smith Jr. was best boy, you know. So it was just a lot shorter list. Now you want to give credit. Plus, we have IMDb. So, if you want to, you know, see if, you know, uh, Joe Smith Jr. was involved with Civil War, then you look him up, you know. Or you can look at the entire list and notice that, uh, you know, Jenny Beth uh, Yocum, hey, she was one of the voices of one of the background characters, you know what I mean? So, you know, now you can find people and people get credit. So, I, I think times have changed, um, you know, and I, I'm with you. I mean, you know... Um, I don't think I would want to sit there for 15 minutes watching all this shit and then not jump on into the movie. But you look at some movies like Star Wars that are just here we are and here's this you know where we are in the story and then the movie starts and you don't know who did what, you know as far as who made the movie. It's just let's get into the movie, you'll find out later and you know I think the true uh, cinema lovers are going to stick around anyway, and you know just watch names you know scroll, especially if you know anybody who works in in the movie industry, then you want to see their name up there.
0: Yeah, I always wait until t- to me the film is finished when it fades to black, right? And the credits have rolled. The credits are part of the movie, yeah. To me, anyway, yeah. So um, I mean, while we're on about opening credits, Superman the movie, fantastic. <laughs> Superman two, great credit sequence. Yeah. I love that credit sequence. Yeah.
1: But you were already into it. You had the Superman movie music playing, right? And you had all this action as the uh, names were kind of like sailing onto the screen. So it was yeah. entertaining uh, versus, you know, like Gone with the Winds. Like, oh my God, really? Oh, please, let's. Where's that chapter marker so I can just jump up to when this thing starts, right? Exactly. <laughs> yep. So we've got, we covered
0: Star Wars, which would I'm very envious. I mean I saw that on the big screen, but I think I was about six. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. quite the perfect age. I was yeah. your your age was the perfect age for that. Yeah. You'd seen Superman. What are some of your most memorable cinema experiences from
1: childhood? Um gosh, man. You know, I made a kind of a list. I mean, like, um, I read the book Ray Bradbury's The Illustrated Man. Because I really wasn't into reading novels, but because that was a series of short films, then I, um, I read that and enjoyed it because I could read a chapter and I was done with that story. And so then I watched the movie, and this was another one of those afternoon movies that wasn't in the cinema, um, but that was my first book-to-screen experience. And it was okay. I mean, you know, they couldn't do the whole book. My God, it would have been like a miniseries on TV. (laughs) But, you know, still, I I felt like some of Ray Bradbury's stuff had been uh, a little bastardized, you know, and then others had been respected the story-wise. So, But I remember going back to the theater – Um, I remember watching Pink Panther Strikes Again. That was one of those that uh, my dad asked if I didn't want to, you know, for my birthday, have a bunch of friends to go to the movies. And then he didn't know what to expect. So about the time the spikes came out of the boobs of the assassin, and (laughs) and Peter Sellers turns around, and and lucky for him, he has this big pretzel, right? And um, so anyway, I think he was a little concerned. So when we came out of the theater, he was like, Oh my God! Am I going to be hearing from all the uh, parents of these of, of your friends? And I was like, No! What are you talking about? No, it's funny. And then um, what was another one? Buck Rogers. That one. Oh uh, yeah, I saw that. That one came out in the theater first before there was a TV series. It was kind of cool. Yeah, it did. But, so, do you remember the James Bond like intro where all the scantily clad women were like climbing I all over him? S- <laughs> yep. Third
0: uh, dates. Yep. Yep. Alright, oh, so that was like late seventies, I think. Yeah, it?
1: yeah. So yeah, I saw that yeah. <laughs> so that was another one of those movies where my dad was like, Hey, it's sci-fi, it's safe. Uh, why don't you have all your you know, I'll take all your friends to go see this for your birthday. Coming out and he's like, Oh my god, what was up with that beginning? Am I going to hear from your friend's parents? And I was like, yeah,
0: Well, you didn't last time. <laughs> so, you know,
1: Not to mention, not gonna, we're a bunch of guys, Dad. We're a bunch of young boys. We just saw a bunch of scantily clad, sexy women. No complaints. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's go. <laughs> that's, Dad, can we go watch The Last Tango in Paris? It's about dancing. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Caligula, it's a history <laughs>
1: film. Oh, there you go, man. Oh, I think yeah. those are the ones that Dad would just go see all on his own. So, yeah, but. Much, I my dad was a workaholic, so really, to get any time with him, that was uh pretty monumental so um, to go out and you know go to the movies with him uh, was a rare occasion, but you know but memorable so
0: so was he a big movie fan as well would you would you talk about the movies afterwards, or was it like that's the film right let's just go back home or whatever It's
1: funny, other than the little explosive you know like when we're leaving the theater, and oh my God, am I going to hear from parents? Um, up until Star Wars, we would go to the movies and then that was it. We'd come back home, I'd go to bed. You know? um, but when it came to Star Wars, he was as blown away as I was. So the second time we went to see it, it was when we visited his parents. Uh, they lived in Williamsburg, Virginia. And uh, that was like where they retired. And dad was like, we've got to go see this movie. And even his parents enjoyed it. But, and I've got to find the cassette because I still have it dad was so blown away by star Wars. He was probably one of the original pirates. He had a little tape recorder that he brought into the theater and hit record and recorded the entire movie on audio cassette. Yeah. So, uh, and he would listen to it going down the road, man. I mean, yeah, this was back before we had cassette players in cars. This was actually, I guess before, and well, maybe we had eight track recorders or whatever, but uh, eight track tapes in the cars, but um, but for him to just want to listen to the movie because he enjoyed it that much. So yeah, Star Wars was the biggest one and he did talk about it. But other than that, I, I don't remember hearing that much about movies. Um, you know, I don't remember, uh, mom was a huge gone with the wind fan and it was, uh, wasn't until probably last year when I watched it again with Michelle, um, that I actually said, okay, I'm going to watch it straight through. I'm not going to complain. Uh, or bitch about it. And there were a couple of times where I was like, God, Scarlet is such a bitchy complaining. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, it's just all about her. She's such a narcissist, but, and she's not funny like Tony Stark. So anyway, um, but so we, we watched that all the way through and you know what, it's a beautifully shot movie. Um, I think, Pretty seamless as far as soundstage to the you know going out on location, and so it's a magnificent movie. But anyway, that was the only one that I heard mom talk about was uh, was that movie. I don't remember her bringing up the Magnificent Seven at all. That was one that I found later on, like on I don't know if it's on TV or or how I watched it originally, but um, you know that was one that. As big a John Wayne fan as she is, looks like she would have said, "Hey, you need to be seeing these." And because that's what I do with my kids, you know, I'm like, "Hey, you know what? You're at the appropriate age. We're going to watch this movie. I think you would enjoy it." And uh, you know, and that way they get to experience some of the things that that I did. And whether it still holds up for them or not, I, I mean, you know, I remember showing Matt and Emily Blade Runner, which is another that was one of those monumental movies that made me want to be a filmmaker. Um, and I remember watching it in my parents' basement. I had rearranged the entire basement so I could have my stereo speakers from my room. I brought my stereo down so I could have, you know, as close to surround as I could and um, move their TV around. I remember my dad just like, What the hell have you done? You've, you've rearranged the entire basement, set it back up. And, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I remember sitting in the, the recliner watching that movie and being blown away. And that was the one that Harrison Ford did the voiceover for and all that. So that was, you know, that original version. Yeah.
0: So this would have been, you'd been about 18 years old. Probably somewhere in
1: there. Yeah. It's like I I used to work at uh, Mar Mountain State Park in the summers and I would save up my money. So back then, um, like there was a friend of mine. Well, he was kind of an acquaintance. His mom was good friends with my mom. And then we had a mutual friend, so therefore, you know, we would occasionally hang out. And um, anyway, he did a movie called, uh, oh, was it Gourmet Zombie Chef from Hell? Donnie Swan is is his name. Uh, he's since passed away, um, he had a heart attack. But anyway, um, but, and this guy was like close to seven feet tall. He was like a giant. And so anyway, um, he was well connected with the different video stores over in Charlotte. Right. And so uh, because he was kind of a celebrity, then I asked him, I said, look, man, I have this amount of money. I want to get a, a VCR player because I I want to be able to watch VHS movies. And uh, so anyway, he took me out and he was like, uh, hey, give my buddy my discount or whatever. So for close to eight hundred dollars, I bought my first VCR and that was what I played Blade Runner on. So, yeah, you're right. It's probably right around 18 <clears throat> wow yeah because
0: that's something I that a lot of, a lot of people remember events in their life through i don't know various things i always remember it through movies yeah you know, yeah what, what film was out when i lived there what film was out when i worked here right that's how i could keep track of what year yeah it was in my uh, lifetime yeah so.
1: well it's funny um one of my notes was bond my first bond was roger moore and I didn't think anything about it until later on I saw, I can't remember which movie, but with Sean Connery. And I'm like, wow, you know what? I kind of dig his swagger more than Roger Moore, even though Roger Moore was fine um, up until he got so old. And then at that point I was like, wow, this is, I. when you have a stunt double to walk fast, which literally that was what I read, you know, it's like, you know, pretty much Roger Moore stands or looks around and that's really it. Um, so um, you know, but I mean, there was you know Sean Connery was probably my favorite classic Bond, but that's not who I originally saw in the movie theater. And I think one of the first Bond movies I saw what was the one that had all um, oh, the famous blonde and the whole thing ended up with uh, them in the shower and Q having this little remote control thing uh, coming into yeah. the bathroom. That was probably my first experience of Bond. Sadly, so. Oh, God, which one? Because with a
0: lot of the Bonds, I I do get a lot of them mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Because I can remember which Bond it was. I can usually remember the villain, but it's like, which film was that? Right. I know it wasn't Moonraker. That was my first ever Bond. Really? Roger Moore was my Bond. I saw Moonraker on the big screen.
1: Now, did that seem as cheesy as it is today, back when you were watching me either, man. I think there was a forgiveness, and everything was kind of cheesy in the '80s. You know, you look at some of the uh, the cool movies like *They Live* and, um, oh, what was some of the other movies? Uh, you know, *Gremlins* and whatever. I mean, there was a certain amount of acceptable cheese from these different, um, you know, filmmakers. So. There was, and *Moonraker*
0: was two years after *Star Wars*, so yeah. the studios are like, "We need that. Mm-hmm. We need some of this *Star Wars* money, so let's make it *Star Wars*." Right, but And then I watched the Roger Moore ones, and then I heard that there was this whole other Bond before this one, and I'm like, what? (laughs) And for the first couple of times, I'm like, nope, he ain't no Roger Moore. But then you get a little bit older, and you put it all into context, and it all works out well. But Roger Moore was also my
1: James Bond as well. Yeah, yeah. And it was cool. I mean, like I grew up reading comic books. That was another thing that kind of inspired me to make movies. And even when I was a little kid, um, and this was when – my sister was maybe, I don't know, maybe three, four, somewhere in there. As, as soon as she got old enough that I could direct her, then we would put on plays for mom and dad. Um, I had we had marionettes, and we would do marionette shows as well. And I would write these storylines down, and um, you know, I would direct my sister as you know an actor. And so, you know, and then when I was in seventh grade, that was when, um, and I'd shot, I'd done little movies of you know like my marionette show and whatever and um you know just kind of cr- trying to chronicle it whenever my dad would actually let me touch the movie camera and then when I was in seventh grade that was when I was inspired to make a uh a, like you know do a movie as a school project because I had to show the effects of gravity and then um there was something else I can't remember but I, I didn't I I wanted to be creative. I didn't want to sit down and write or do anything too hardcore, uh, you know, um, too, too much work. Right. And I didn't consider making a short film work at all. So we threw this dummy off the roof and I shot video of that. That was showing the effects of gravity. And then I did stop action and I can't remember what criteria that met, but one was in science, one was in English. And so I guess I was telling a story through uh, stop action, but that was another nice. thing that just kind of got me into Um, you know, making short films. And then I think it was in eighth grade, I would have my friends come over, maybe it was ninth grade, um, after school, and then we'd do a short film. Then one was Cops and Robbers, and then the other was like, you know, Cowboys and Indians, and, you know, just little stories I would come up with. And then, um, you know, and then ultimately, my friends would always think it was a joke. So, you know, you have someone shooting somebody in the ass with a smile, and But, you know, I wasn't the cinematographer. I was one of the actors as well as the director. So, um, yeah. (laughs) How did you – I mean, was there an age where you
0: started to go to cinema on your own a lot? Or did you always pretty much go with somebody?
1: Um, I guess I started going more on my own as soon as I could – got my driver's license, which that was 16. It's kind of crazy. Now there's – you know, like you can get your permit – If you're, you know, like at some point during your 16th year, right? And then um, you have to have it for um, a year before you can get your driver's license. And you have to log all these hours and you have to sign off on it. Uh, Your parents have to sign off on it. And then you're only good during daylight hours. You have to drive for like a year or so. And then you can get your after nines. That's what they call them over here. And so there, but I mean, like when I hit 16, I was still a little kid now that I'm looking back. And, uh, you know, and it was like, Hey mom, it's my birthday. We've got to go to the DMV and got my driver's license. And then here I am driving this thing that, um, we had station wagons that that was like the family car. So it was in essence, what Arnold drives up in, in Terminator (laughs) one, when he's searching for Sarah Connor. And, uh, so I was driving around this huge tank. I was, I was a little kid. What the hell, man? I think it had a 400 block engine in it, which meant massive horsepower, Um, and you know, it's not like it had, uh, like a racing, uh, suspension or anything, but yeah. But at that point I started going to the movies every chance that I could. And we had a multiplex of, I think it was two screens, um, before it became, I think we have five now. Um, but anyway, but yeah, man, I would go out there and it was like a buck and a quarter. We were talking about this on the show the other day, um, with, uh, Oklahoma warden, Nicole Lanza. And I think that ward uh, is probably my age or, or right around there. And um, so anyway, but yeah, we were talking about how cheap movie tickets were back then. So we, um, yeah, so, I mean, it just made it easier that, and I had friends that worked out there. So on occasion, I would just sneak in for free. And, but yeah, man, I just started uh, seeing every movie that I could.
0: And was, I mean, how did you choose the movies that you watch when you start going on your own—was there ever a time when you're like they're in it,
1: therefore I want to watch their film? Or you know, sadly, and I guess this is just the pubescent teenager thing, but uh, it was kind of like, um, hey mom, this is a this is a drama about a group of girls making extra money doing car washes, and so <laughs> bikini car wash. She would she would never really look it up. She would be like, okay, so you know. <laughs> so anything that probably had some tna in it then that was I would gravitate towards that or if it was sci-fi. So I had my I want to see it because this is my passion. This is, you know, I'm I'm interested in you know, I, am entertained by sci-fi or, or Bond or whatever. But then there's also, you know, like what was the, uh, my teacher or whatever it was called where, you know, some lucky kid gets a, a, really hot tutor or something. I don't know, you know, so those, those are also the movies that I kind of gravitate towards, but it was so porky. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but I mean, that actually was funny. So, you know, that was multi-purpose. So, it wasn't just Kim Cattrall, it was, uh, you know, but I mean, like, I remember going to see um, Splash, I can't remember when that came out exactly. Yeah, 84. Yeah, so I remember going to see that, and that was, you know, it's Daryl Hannah, but it's also Tom Hanks and a well-made movie. So, you know, I I enjoyed that movie. So there were certain directors that I'd gravitate towards, well, anything George Lucas did, anything Spielberg did, um, you know, I really, I... I don't think I encountered the Godfather um, or any of those mafia movies until probably the nineties. And it was just, you know, somebody saying, wow, you haven't seen these, you need to check them out. But, um, you know, I even went to see Howard the duck, which, you know, (laughs) uh, probably do wish that I could get that time back, but it's okay. You know, it was what it was. And, um, you know, as far as an animatronic talking duck, eh, you know, they did all right. It was kind of, you know, that was, That predated the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if I remember correctly. And they were well done. And, of course, those were actually good, funny movies. To be fair, I went to see The Cat from Outer Space. Oh, did you really? Yeah. You know, I don't remember if I saw... um, Oh, what is it? The the Computer War Tennis Shoes. It was Kurt Russell Disney movie where the guy was like a brainiac. (laughs) I may have... I may have seen that in the theater, but I I can't remember exactly. But I remember there was like a bunch of Disney movies like that, that, you know, um, I would go see. But, you know, but I guess, you know, as a kid, it was mainly Disney movies up until the sci-fi thing hit. And then after that, it was just, I tried to see everything that I could. Uh, Knowing that my cousin Mo had, um, you know, been a writer in Hollywood. He's still in good standing with the Writers Guild, even though he hasn't written anything in a while. And he moved to Atlanta. But he just got tired of the whole LA scene. But knowing that he had made it, um, he grew up next door to Steve Martin. They're still friends today. So I kind of grew up with the belief that everybody, people are people, you know, we're all on the same level, uh, physically anyway. We're all on the ground unless we climb stairs or take an elevator. So I just believed that everybody was accessible. And My dad's friend, uh, who is like his childhood friend, they went to high school, and uh, I can't remember. I don't think they went to college together, but anyway, they would, uh, you know, uh, their families would go uh, to you know take summer vacations together and stuff like that. And so the fact that he grew up out there, his uncle was Richard Zanuck, and so um, he was always on the the 20th century lot, right? And so he even had different props that were given to him by uh, the, the, you know, like whatever the production was, it's like, Hey kid, you know, if you want this and they, the cool thing, I have it on my wall. It's I, and I have no idea if it's on the, um, I need to get the Blu-ray of the 10 commandments and really scope for it. But, um, it's the serpent head that was either the top of a staff or, um, part of the, um, headdress or something. But anyway, they actually mounted it on a really cool, um, frame and all that stuff. So that's actually hanging in my office, but, um, wow. So when I went out to L.A. in 90, um, to, and my uh, Mo's sister, Betty, um, lives in Beverly Hills. And so I stayed with her, and I went over to, oh, what is the name of the place? Um, the Margaret Herrick Library, which is like a big script library. And, of course, now you can find so many scripts online. You don't have to go out there, but back in the day, back in '90. Um, if you wanted to read a bunch of scripts, that was a good place. And I'd already taken the uh, John Truby script writing course. And so I went out there and I was just reading scripts and it was cool because I'd go up to the front desk. You know, it's like a regular library and I'd say, well, I want to l- read the original version of Blade Runner. And so she would go back there and, and hand me version number one. And it was just cool to be able to actually read it and see what the original ending was and see how everything was formatted and the flow and and all this stuff. So I, I read dozens of scripts. I still have the notebook that I took all my notes in um, just to kind of remind me, you know, uh, of, of the writing side of, of what I enjoy. And, um, but anyway, and when I was out there, uh, my dad's friend actually gave me Xanax number. And so we spent like 30 to 45 minutes just talking movies and how to break into the industry and all this other stuff. Wow. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I just, I grew up with this, uh, it's almost the, what is it? The seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know what yeah, I mean? It's just yeah. I, I think that, and just like you found, especially on Twitter, you can access these different people. You know, and you can connect, and then you know if they'll be on your your podcast, or you can talk to them on the phone, or or interview them at a comic convention. You know, what I mean, it's just everybody's accessible if you will just just apply the effort you know yeah and so exactly. that was certainly an inspiration for me to be out in the, the just to get into that la air you know and um to talk to these people that are really i mean like hollywood uh icons and so it's just it was cool man
0: yeah i mean it's uh it's something i hope i never lose this se- sort of sense of being starstruck yeah um, I'm never at the case where if I see somebody, I don't know what to say because I'm like, right, right, you know, you know, like being at San Diego Comic Con, somebody <laughs> will walk past you, and you're like, it's, 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 it, uh, I, I, I would know what to say, right, but I would still find it immensely cool that right. they were there and I walk
1: past them. Yeah. so I've, I've got a perfect balance of the starstruck. Yeah, because they are, uh, th- I mean, they, they are just human. But on the other hand, man, they have made it in yeah. one respect or another, and yeah, it's cool. And it's it's nice to find those people who, you know, the egos aren't uh, inflamed. You know what I mean? That they're actually nice. They'll actually talk to you, and um, they still remember where they came from. And you know, they'll they'll talk shop with you. It's it's nice to find those people.
0: Yeah, there is only, in the experience of Comic-Con documentary, there is one little story of someone who did have an inflated ego, who <laughs> did not want to speak to me, which is a story that I've told you before right. involving a hand over a photograph. Right. And that, that is going to be included in the, uh, in the documentary, because I've, I've got to have the ups, I've got to have the downs. Right, right. Uh, as a final question, though, do you miss your childhood days of going to the cinema? Or not? Do you think it's just, it's different, it's fine, I'm okay with it. I really miss it. I miss queuing up, not knowing whether I get in, the excitement of, I've actually got in to see the Temple of Doom. Right. I have <laughs> no idea what this film's going to be like, Yeah. but I'm going to see a story unfold rather than
1: know everything about it because I've read it in magazines. Right. So to- <laughs> or you've seen uh, like at least 50 trailers that have shown you the entire movie, right? Um, yeah. I, I think I miss those days for two reasons. One, and it's funny you should bring up like uh, Temple of Doom because I went with a group of my friends. We had all seen, uh, you know, the um, the first Indiana Jones movie probably separately or whatever. Um, but when and we were in high school and we we're like, hey, let's go to the matinee as soon as you know school is done. Let's head on over there. We'll you know. And so there was a group of us so probably twelve. And then the um, one of the, the girls that worked as, I don't know, an attendant? I don't know what, what title she had. But anyway, she would show people to the theater, right? Yeah, you know, it's old school. And um, so she actually came in and sat by me. And so it was just... I don't know, the camaraderie uh, that kind of reminds you of like, you know, maybe the Goonies or something, you know what I mean, where you would get together with your friends. And I know Jake and I try to do that um, periodically, you know, like either the two of us will go or we'll, you know, take our wives with us and be like a double date. And so, you know, we've hit some of the big films that way, but I don't think we see as much in the theater. And I think it's twofold. One, uh, audiences are there and they just... They're disrespectful. I love it when the audience is into the movie and it's oh my gosh, or they all laugh. We all laugh together. It's it's communal, you know, and so that's awesome um, when everybody's into it. But when you have these people that are answering the phone, talking to to Bob, loud as hell um, get the hell out of the movie theater. You know what I mean? Don't text, don't take pictures, the whole selfie thing where someone is angling their, uh, their phone flashlight at their face so they can do a selfie. Stop your shit, man. (laughs) Go out. I mean, There's a marquee. There are, um, you know, there's posters out in front. So, you know, let's be respectful. So I miss that side. And two, I think when you and I were growing up, Movies were made to tell a story, um, and I was talking to uh, Abby yesterday about this as far as in reference to music. Um, back in the day, we would hear songs because someone said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about, or "or this is how I feel about something, or, or whatever, and so they'd write a song, and if it hit the top 40 chart, cool, but if not, you have a song that expresses uh, something in earnest. It's, it's a very um, organic thing. And I think uh, movies at one point were made for the same reason. It was like, hey, I want to tell a movie about this crazy thing that happened or, or, you know, space flight or whatever. And so, you know, I mean, you look at 2001, a space odyssey. What the hell genre is that in? It's kind of (laughs) crazy, right? Uh, But it was they put these movies together to tell a story. Now, movies, music, all entertainment, it is there to be on the charts. We want to be number one. What does it take to be number one? Well, we're going to change the story. We're going to we're going to sell out. We're going to you know. And I think it hurts the storytelling. And I so I miss the purity of the movies that came out in the eighties, in the nineties. Where I mean, you look at They Live. I mean, you know, they couldn't make that movie now unless it was an ultra indie. You know, but that was a big budget kind of thing. You know, it was. Yeah, but I mean, it was crazy. It was cheesy. It was cool. And I wanted another, Big Trouble in Little China, although I think they're planning on remaking that. That was another one that was just, you know, I mean, like, people made movies because they were passionate about making movies versus we want to be known. We want a celebrity status. We want uh, we want to push it. So however we need to refine ourselves, um, that's what we're going to do, the, the story. Um, that's what we're going to do versus just saying, hey, here's my movie, like it or not, you know? Yeah, I think the moment it became about box office, exactly. purely about that's box it, office. Man, that's it,
0: You know, I was I was talking to somebody on Twitter a month or so ago, and they were on about the new Ghostbusters film that was due out, and they were like, oh, it's tracking to do this amount, it's right. tracking. <laughs> this wasn't an industry person, this was a, just right. somebody that watches movies. You think, why do you care? Right. What it's tra- tracking, I never understood. Right. It's crazy. It's like the one thing I would never ever do is somebody's. Oh, how much do you think your film's going to make? Never give an answer. <laughs> right. Never give an answer because if it falls just below that number, right, you've it's not performed. And I think that's Tarantino that says that. Uh-huh. He never tries to guess how much his films make. Right. Because one dollar less than that figure,
1: and they will attack you for it and go, oh, you, you had too much faith in your film." Oh yeah. Well, and you look at some of these movies that. You know, they double their budget if they spent $3 million on it. And I realize there's another $3 million to be spent on uh, promoting and all this other stuff. And But, I mean, you know, like a, mov- a $3 million movie making $30 million, right? So, But still, it's a failure. We won't see a sequel to this movie. Why not? It was good. Uh, throw them a peanut. Say, you know what, the next budget's only going to be a million. But let these filmmakers do what they do and tell an honest story. I
0: mean, look at the Batman v Superman thing. I heard one quote going: "The film has it's not a it's not a, a bomb by any means, but it's it's a definite financial failure. Right. It's only made <laughs> eight hundred million worldwide. <laughs> right? How on earth is that even?" And they go, oh, because they've spent this much and that much." Well, that's right. Not the audience's
1: fault. How much you spend on advertising? Right. Well, and you Crazy. remember when the Xbox 360 came out, and I admired Microsoft's mentality. We will lose our ass for three years, and then we will build, and it will be profit-making. And I, I wish that more movies would be like, okay, we're going to make uh, the episode one or, or um, you know, the first of a trilogy. And then by the second, people are like, hell yeah, I want to be there. It's like Temple of Doom for me um, and all my friends. is like, man, we can't wait. Or Empire Strikes Back. Um, not that Star Wars wasn't a huge success, but we couldn't wait for Empire Strikes Back. And I remember my friend's dad uh, took a load of us once again in the station wagon. Um, and, yeah, that took us to uh, over to Concord, and we watched it, and it was in the mall. And so it was a movie-going experience. And I, I don't think the kids have that anymore.
0: No, I mean, do you remember the experience of having to wait— Three years between Empire and Jedi—that <laughs> yeah. was painful.
1: <laughs> well, especially the way it left off. It's kind of like who knows what's going to happen next. It was the ultimate, right? It was like a it was amazing. a cliffhanger in a TV series is one thing, but when it's a movie and like you say, it's going to take three years for them to you know come out with a new one. So. Uh, and, but even back then,
0: you didn't know whether there would be another one. Right. <laughs> you know, because this isn't. <laughs> na- nowadays, they're like, oh, we're, this film's coming out in 2023 right. and all that sort of stuff. And <laughs> you know that you, you get to a certain point, you go, well, they've started shooting some right. out. But as, as a film viewer, when we were kids, the film wasn't out until
1: it showed up on the screen or had an advert in the paper. Yeah. Like, wow, it's coming
0: out. They've
1: done another one. Yeah. There was um, a, a periodical that came out every week. Oh, and I can't remember. It's still out today, although it really doesn't mean much. But there was a friend of mine. This is when I first started writing scripts. And uh, well, not when I first started, because I actually started when I was in high school. Uh, that was when I wrote my first script. But I guess it was sometime like in my early 20s when I was being much more prolific and I would come up with these, you know, like treatments for movies and TV shows. And there was a friend of mine who wanted to be a producer. So, you know, both TV and movies. And so he was making all these different phone calls and stuff. But he would get this periodical. Um, I want to say it started with an I. But anyway, um, and it was the insider uh, you know, like periodical for Hollywood. So, I mean, you would see the deals being made. You would see that Arnold Schwarzenegger was thinking about playing, um, the tooth fairy in a movie where he didn't know his dad was the tooth fairy. His dad (laughs) dies. And then, you know, and so, um, but I mean, of course it was never made, but you know, I mean, I wouldn't have known about it if it wasn't for this, you know, insider kind of, um, you know, newspaper. Um, but anyway, and my buddy would read it and then pass it off to me, but, um, so yeah, but I mean, there was a magic there because we didn't know what all was going on. And now, you know, it's like, oh, look at the behind the scenes of civil war. Oh, well, I guess that means that character's in there, you know? Um, they held out on Spider-Man until, you know, like, what was it? Two weeks before, uh, release. That was kind of cool, but there's not as many surprises. So, you know, it's one of the things that Oklahoma uh, Ward and I were discussing the other day was that, um, you know, like when he went to go see Alien, in the movie theater, I wasn't allowed to because it's rated R. And my mom was like, no, you shall not go. So once it came on HBO, then I went over to a friend's house whose dad was just like, "Yeah, watch whatever you want. Um, and we watched Alien. and um, But, you know, all we knew was in space, no one can hear you scream. All we saw was that egg because we the only place to see trailers really was, um, you know, in the movie theater, so it was cool. There was a mystery to it, you know. Now I feel like we know too much, we're almost on the inside, which takes the magic out. It's like that TV show on Netflix where. Um, if you want to know um, how magicians do their tricks, like David Copperfield and stuff, watch this TV show. I'm never going to watch that. I am a child no. at heart. I want to believe in magic. I want to see yep. people do crazy things and go, wow, how did they do that? I don't want to know the, the, the science behind it. You know, I know that the Statue of Liberty really didn't disappear, but damn, how did he do it? That's awesome. You know, When I, when
0: I worked at Walmart a couple of years back, or as does it here in the UK, there was right. a guy – who worked there who would just He'd walk up and he would just do a magic trick in front of you with a deck of cards or a coin or elastic band. Right. And he said, how do you think I did it? I'm like, I don't care. I don't, I don't want right. to know. And all these people are like, did you do it like this? Is it a right. false coin? And I'm like, I don't want to know. Right. I'm just really impressed. <laughs> and I've got a 20-minute, because uh, I loaned a video camera at one point, because uh-huh. he was going away and he was going to make a little film thing and he was going to film some of his tricks. And I found the footage the other day and it's 20 minutes of him doing these tricks. And it's like... I still don't want to know how he did it, but I've seen him do these things in front of me and it's well impressive. Yeah. I'll have to get you a copy of the video so you can have a look. Oh yeah. So much fun, but I don't, yeah, I think the only exception to not knowing too much about films are indie films. Right. I think you can still preserve the magic. I mean, just to give Neil Johnson another shout out, Rogue Warriors coming out at some point. No idea what it's about. Right? Don't want to know. I'll watch it when it comes out, and then I will watch the story unfold. With indie films, you can get a nice surprise because they're not they're not on every magazine. Right? People aren't ha- hashtagging them constantly or bitching and moaning about why is that person <laughs> in this trailer and <laughs> shared universes and blah blah blah, all this sort of stuff. You can watch an indie film. Cold effectively, and just put it on press play, mm-hmm. wow, yeah, you know, I think that's why I found myself watching more independent films this year than pretty
1: much any other year, and loving pretty much every one of them, mm-hmm. so. and I think that goes back to what I was saying about the heart of movies, you go with the independent uh movies and. The filmmakers are saying what they wanted to say, not because it's necessarily cool or going to put them on the map, but they wanted to make they wanted to bring their vision to the small screen. And if it happens to land on the big screen, cool. But on the other hand, they didn't make it for that purpose. They made it so that they could share a concept or a theology or uh, something horrific or whatever. You know, they, they, it's entertainment. Exactly. Just like these podcasts, so hopefully That's entertainment right. <laughs> too. Uh, hey, which well, let me say this. This is a pitch for uh, a previous show that you and I did. Because, um, you know, we I, we both watched Fantastic Four before we did the podcast because the, the yeah. podcast was about uh, don't always listen to critics, make up your own mind. Have you seen the pilot for Wonder Woman, the one that was done back in, uh, I don't know, somewhere 2000-ish? No, I haven't. Um, I'll send you a link. It, yep. it, it really wasn't. It wasn't as bad as I don't know. I don't know. Understand why they didn't um, even complete it. There, there's still like harness wires and stuff where they're doing their stunts. And were, <laughs> there was one time where Wonder Woman uh, and it's oh I can't remember uh, the actress's name. Peliki um, was it something? Anyway, I can't remember. But she plays Bobby on Agents of Shield, so she's already five eleven. So with heels, she's really tall. And it, she really did. I mean, like I. Granted, radically different suit, but I, I was still down with it. And um, so overall, I, and I get her angst, I get her frustration with society and all that stuff. So it really wasn't all that bad. But there, just the fact that they never even gave a damn to finish the pilot, like how much would that have cost it? Um, but anyway, but I wanted to give it a shot. So you, you should uh, give it a look. It's interesting. Up until uh, she lays the lasso of truth on top of this <laughs> dude that she needs to get some honest answers out of. And instead of wrapping him up in it and making him talk, she beats the shit out of him. And I'm like, wow. wait a minute. That's not Wonder Woman. But anyway, other than that, it was okay, man. But <laughs> anyway, but hopefully people have, have listened to the, the podcast and, and will actually give some, some movies a chance that everybody said sucked. So exactly,
0: if yeah. you know, if you watch a movie and you don't like it, so what? Just move on to the next one. It's fine. <laughs> That's don't, right. Don't waste time flaming the damn thing for six
1: months. Right, right. Because somebody else may think it's it's funny. I mean, I can imagine my kids saying uh, Angie Tribeca is stupid. It's supposed to be stupid. That's what makes it funny. So you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, in the next episode of this little mini series, we're going to cover what it was like for you watching films at home. So awesome. this will be your. Your DVD era, oh, or a nice. laserdisc, okay? Maybe other laserdisc. Who knows? But we'll cover your home viewing, okay? Um, and learn a little bit about what it's like there.
1: Sounds good. Well, I will. I will think about those. That list of, uh, you know my first movies watching at home, both on TV and VHS, and and uh, I'm assuming it can include everything that I've watched at home. Is that total? Okay. Yep. Awesome, man. And with each, which each evolution from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray, and what a Blu-ray snob I am. So. Yeah. Hell yeah!
0: <laughs> yep, and then the one after that will be actually uh, what it's like for you to mingle with movie stars. Okay, so you know, get your stories about hanging around on Evil Dead Two set. Yeah, right. so. that was fun, man. A
1: fun.
0: <laughs> All right, John. Well, thank you very much as always. Yeah, always fun, man. And uh, I shall catch up with you very, very soon. All right, sounds good. Have a good weekend. You too. All right,
1: bye.
2: Happy to and then home I thought I was someone else, someone good